So it, we are, it is great to have Tim come and preach to us this morning. Uh, Tim has really served us as a church so well uh, with kind of apostolic oversight to us over the last few years especially and, and a real gift to me. Um, he, as has been said, he's part of the core team of Commission, the family of churches that we are part of, and has a real gift for preaching the Word of God. And so it is great to have him. Uh, let's give him a big welcome as he comes up. For all that, for, it is so good to have Tim. For all that, the best thing is, as Tony said, he's about to be a herald of the Word of God uh, and preach God's Word to us. So let's engage and listen to what God has to say through Tim. I was just saying how encouraging it is to see the life in this church and to worship the way we've been worshipping. That's something that we can take for granted. It actually is an evidence of a miracle-working God. Amen? Amen? So the way we worship and sing and praise, the Word of God says He has put a song in our hearts, a song of praise to our God. And so let's really value that here today. And I'm this morning wanting to speak to you about God's eternal life. How much do you speak, do you think about eternal life, I wonder? Already this morning I've been speaking to people about their holidays. Who's planned their summer holiday? Right, we've got summer holidays planned. Are you, are you thinking about what you're going to do? Are you looking forward to it? Of course you are. Some of you might be planning your retirement and thinking what you want to do with your retirement. You have those moments when you're like, do you know what, I can't wait until I can just kind of choose to do what I want to do. And we plan these things. We have these events on the horizon. How much time do you spend thinking about what you're going to be doing in 500 years from now? How much time do you you spend thinking about that? And then I, I just want you to think, why do we not spend more time thinking about these things? Why do we not spend more time thinking about our eternal life? We're going to read from a famous and wonderful passage of Scripture. And my hope today is that none of us would leave here feeling at all intimidated as we think about eternal life, as we think about what comes next. My hope is that we'll leave here today confident, enthusiastic, excited, full of hope. Full of hope for all that God has promised. Amen? Amen. Let's read together. So this is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35, and I'm going to read to the end of the chapter. Let's listen to God's word together, and let's be in faith as we've been encouraged. He's going to speak to us today. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have when they come? You fool. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you are not sowing the body that will be, but only a seed, perhaps of wheat or another grain. But God gives it a body as he wants, and to each of the seeds its own body. Not all flesh is the same flesh. There is one flesh for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is different from that of the earthly ones. There is a splendor of the sun, another of the moon, and another of the stars. In fact, one star differs from another star in splendor. So it is with the resurrection of the dead, sown in corruption, 
raised in incorruption, sown in dishonor, raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power, sown in a natural body, raised in a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. Like the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. Like the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we will be changed. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory, where death is your sting. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And this is God's word to us. Let's pray. And so, Father in heaven, we, your people today, we want to thank you for the power of your word. And we want to thank you that from your word comes life, From your word comes light. From your word comes our eternal future. We recall what Peter said. Where should we turn, Lord? For you have the words of eternal life. And so I pray over each of us here, would you protect this seed, Lord, as it falls upon us? May it find good soil. May roots be established. And may a harvest be produced. And may you be glorified. Help us, Lord. Thank you you're here. Speak to us and be glorified, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. When I was a teenager, I was listening to a Christian radio program. And uh, the guy who was teaching was trying to teach about eternal life. And he used an illustration. And this illustration I found so troubling and so scarring. I wish I'd never heard it. So I thought I'd share it all with you today. (laughs) He said, I want you to imagine that you could empty the Pacific Ocean of every last drop of water. It's the deepest ocean. Then I want you to imagine that you can train a bird every one million years to drop a grain of sand into that gap. After that bird has dropped the final grain of sand so that a mountain of sand comes out as high as Mount Everest. That 
is your first second in eternity. It's awful. That doesn't sound good. Is that eternity? Is that what eternity is like? I wonder if one of the reasons why we struggle to get our heads around eternal life is that we're thinking about it in the wrong way. How did Jesus define eternal life? Do you know what Jesus said in John 17 verse 3? He says, this is eternal life that they might know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life, knowing God. And the Apostle Paul said, I consider all things as lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord. So that you can say today, if you know God and you know Jesus Christ and that love has been poured into your heart, you can say confidently eternal life has begun in me. And eternal life, we're not thinking particularly about measures of time as much as we're thinking about the quality of what's being promised. And the quality is that you can know true, living, vital relationship with the Almighty God. More than that, you can call your Creator Abba, Father. That is a privilege I hope none of us here take for granted. That you can call God your Father. The resurrection for us has been guaranteed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul, in the first half of chapter 15, is contending for the truth that Jesus was genuinely bodily raised. That he died and he was genuinely bodily raised. The second half that we are considering today... He is contending for the truth that every Christian will genuinely have a resurrection. He's contending for these things because there are cynics and there are doubters and there are people who are questioning it. You'd have noticed right at the beginning, he said, somebody will say, oh, what kind of body will we have in the resurrection? What will it be like? And then this quite harsh rebuke, he goes, you fool, you fool. This seems quite strong, doesn't it? But you see, what's happening here is he's not speaking to agnostics or people who are on the fence or people who are not Christians yet. He's speaking to a church. He's speaking to Christians. He's speaking to Christians who are saying, what kind of body is that? How is he going to resurrect me? What if I, what if I am uh, consumed by a fire? What if I drown? How am I going to be resurrected? He's going, you fool. And he, he proceeds to use an illustration which is very powerful In fact, I'd I'd contend that it's one of the most powerful illustrations in the whole Bible, such that it's actually repeated through the Scriptures. And I think God loves this illustration so much that he's also woven it into nature. And we're in springtime right now. And so we're seeing the evidence beautifully all around us of what Paul is teaching and what he's promising. And he says this, You sow a seed into the ground. When you sow a seed into the ground, it looks nothing like what it's going to become. But what it becomes, the essence of that, is in the seed. So you think of an acorn, and you look at an acorn, and you go, what's going to come out of that? And then you consider a 50-meter-tall oak tree. You go, it's a seed sown that dies 
that suddenly becomes this glorious tree. When you consider your life now, when you consider your body now, when you consider who you are now, when I consider who I am now, but a seed of what I will be and of what you will be. I got the lawnmower out the other day, the first mow of the year, always the hardest, pushing against the grass, always the hardest, and it was particularly difficult because my kids had collected a whole load of conkers and just scattered them liberally all over the lawn, And, and the conkers are beginning to take root. So I thought I'd pick one up for you. There we go. Now that is a useless conquer if you're planning on using it for a conquer fight, right? It's broken. It's not as impressive as it once was. It's not as shiny as it once was. But of course you notice the root which has already started to grow. It's already started to dig down. What we see here now is the possibility of something so much greater. What we see here now is the possibility of a mighty tree. But this is vulnerable. This was easy for me to pluck up. In fact, this wasn't the first one I plucked up. The first one I plucked up and the root broke off. Now, some of you here today feel a little bit like that in your faith. You feel a little bit vulnerable. Your faith doesn't feel very strong. In fact, I would reckon that in this room there'll be a number of you and you'll feel like it's actually broken. And you're here because this is what you do. But, some, but in life, something's let you down and disappointed you, maybe. Maybe someone's hurt you. Maybe, maybe in the church, someone's significantly let you down. And, and you're asking, and you're like, I just... What is this? Am I even a Christian? Your root feels vulnerable. Your root feels fragile. Now, I want to tell you something, and I want to encourage you. Firstly, I want to encourage you with the truth, and then secondly, I want to give you, I want to make a request of you. Here's, firstly, what I want to say to you. Here's where your root is. This is what it says in Colossians 3. For you died, and your life is hidden in Christ, in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I want to tell you, if you are a Christian here today, your root is hidden in Christ, in God. There is not a more secure place for you to be anchored than in God. There is nowhere more secure for you. Your root is hidden in Christ. There is no place you could rather be as a firm, stable, established soul than rooted in Christ himself. Amen? So you might be feeling fragile here today. And you might feel like your Christian performance is lousy. I would contend that's probably the majority of us in the room. And you might be saying, but how do I know? How do I know if my root is in Christ? How do I know for sure that I'm one of those? Well, let me ask you, do you love Jesus? When you look at the cross, do you see him dying there for you? When you see him bleeding, is he bleeding for your sins? 
And when he walks out of the tomb, does your heart rejoice? And have you confessed him to be your Lord? And do you believe that God raised him from the dead? If you could say, yes, 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 to all of those things. And let me tell you today, your life is hidden in Christ, in God. You're rooted in him. You're hidden. So many people in this life are trying to be noticed, are trying to be seen, are trying to be on the platform, on the stage. See me. The promise that God makes to you today is, come and be hidden. Come and be hidden. And we're hidden together, right? In Christ. And the potential, therefore, for what you are going to become cannot be broken, cannot be stolen, cannot be uprooted. Who is more powerful than God? And if his promise to you is, you're in me, I've got you. Therefore, you can be very, very, very confident that even though you might feel a bit like a broken conquer, one day you're going to be a mighty horse chestnut tree, a mighty oak tree. You can't even begin to imagine right now what you will become. Beyond glorious. It's the promise of God to you. So if I'm trying to find my confidence in the resurrection by looking in the mirror, it's not a great place to look. Where do we go? We go to Christ who is the first fruits of the resurrection, Paul says in this chapter. He's the first fruits. What is it going to be like? We look at Jesus and, and we see in him something beautiful, And something that we're going to become. So the promise of God is, he who began a good work in you is going to bring it through to completion. He's not going to give up on you. You might give up on God. You may have already given up on God. But the promise he makes is, I don't give up on my people. I don't do that. I see it through to the end. I'm a starter finisher. The greatest of them all. The greatest starter finisher. So Jesus is the first fruits, and so what I want us to see is that this theme, this illustration of seed, death, new life, growth, is right in the very beginning of the Bible, and it comes consistently right through to the very end. So I'm just going to, are we going to think about gardens for a moment? Do you find that the older you get, the more into your garden you become? Did anyone else find that? (laughs) No? Simo's not bothered. Simo can't care less. The exception of Simo, I never, I mean, for me, the garden was a place to play football. My mum and dad will vouch for that. But now, I've got a little bit of pride in my garden. I uprooted a rose bush from around the corner. Someone's giving, giving away a rose bush, planted it in our garden. Three weeks later, the thing looks completely dead. I mean, totally dead. And I'm like, what have I done? This thing, literally, it had rose, roses on it. Died within a month. And then six months later, I was like, I said to Lars, should I uproot it? Should I just get rid of it? It's so depressing. I'm so depressed. But when I saw the first leaf, I was so excited. And now this thing is, it's looking great. 
The older you get, the more into your garden you become, and I think there's something significant about that. So right in the beginning, in Genesis 2, we read this in verse 8. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he placed the man he had formed. The Lord God caused to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden, as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden. In the Greek translation of that word garden, they use the word paradise. Paradise. It means walled garden. Eden was described as a paradise. This garden that the Lord God made, that he put man into. Humanity was born into a garden, born into paradise. Tragically, we know that sin comes into the world and man is wrenched away from God by believing a lie. And the tragedy at the end of chapter 3, then the Lord God said, since the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God sent him away from the garden, sent him away from paradise to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove the man out and stationed the cherubim and the flaming whirling sword east of the Garden of Eden to guard the way to the tree of life. This is where tragedy began. And from that moment on, every man and woman has been longing to get back into the garden. Some people move to Devon. (laughs) Go west. But we're all living for Eden. We we want paradise. How can my life be easier? Just a little bit more, more money. Just one more bedroom, maybe. Just a slightly bigger garden. Just a slightly warmer climate. We want paradise. You're not going to find it in this lifetime. But God's on mission to bring you back to paradise. God's on mission to return you to the garden. It is no coincidence that the suffering of Jesus began in a garden. Just as evil began in a garden, so Jesus who comes to deal with the curse, to deal with the consequence, to deal with death and to deal with evil and sin and darkness, it all began in a garden. And so Jesus led his disciples to a garden called Gethsemane. And it was in that garden that he sweat drops of blood as he considered what fruit, as it were, he would have to eat in order to undo the consequences of the fruit disobediently eaten by humanity as he considered the cup. If it's possible, he cried, Lord, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. I can't even begin to imagine the experience of being one who has never experienced sin. Who has lived a pure, holy, you know what it's like to feel shame. He never felt shame before. But as he goes towards the cross, he takes the cup into which is poured the sin and the shame and the guilt of all humanity. 
and he has to drink it down to the dregs. So if you're trying to imagine why he's sweating drops of blood, there you go. Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. His suffering began in a garden. And as he was crucified, as he was crucified in utter humiliation and in total shame, you remember what he said to the thief next to him? He said, today, you're going to join me in paradise. You come into the wall garden. I'm bringing you back into Eden. You're going to join me in paradise. What had that guy ever done? To earn that, nothing. And yet, in the final moments of his life, he snatched by the rescuer and brought into paradise. So that guy right now is dancing around a garden without any pain, without any shame, free with Jesus. I just want to encourage you. I was counseling someone this week who said, you know what, I struggle so much. He's involved, he's a police officer, he's often first responder. He spoke to me about a number of tragic situations he's gone to, and he was just in tears. He's like, Tim, I'm struggling so much. I see these people. They've lived horrific lives. And this guy took his own life, and he's like, Tim, I just don't know. I just struggle to imagine what comes next for him. I was like, hey, Don't look to the evidence of his life. Look to the cross as your place of comfort right now. Where Jesus snatches and rescues right at the final moment. Paradise. Where was Jesus buried? John chapter 19, verse 41. There was a garden in the place where he was crucified. A new tomb was in the garden. No one had yet been placed in it. They placed Jesus there because of the Jewish day of preparation and since the tomb was nearby. Jesus, like a seed, was sown into a tomb in a garden. Coincidence? Every detail that John records is significant and for us to notice. He was buried in a garden, dead as a seed, dead. On the first day of the week, Mary Madeline came to the tomb. Read in verse 11. Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting there where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and one, at, one other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them. I don't know where they've put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her. Why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Listen to this. Supposing he was the gardener. Coincidence? 
She replied, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, Rabbanai. I love this moment so much. I love this moment. Jesus resurrected on Easter day. Sown as a seed. There he is, a mighty oak tree. Speaks her name and everything changes. Everything changes. What? What? Imagine it. Imagine Mary's response. What? You're alive? What? Everything changed. Resurrected. This glorious, blooming flower. She thought he was the gardener. Oh, yeah. The true gardener. The true gardener. You see, what Adam was instructed to do, the first Adam that Paul refers to in chapter 15, the first Adam, he was instructed to take care of God's garden. But he didn't. But from the seed of woman would come one who would crush the serpent's head. The serpent would strike his heel. Oh, he'd be hurt. But there was a definite victory that was going to come over the serpent. A definite victory that would come. Jesus brought that. And he's the true gardener. So that he, around the world today, is bringing life. He's sowing seeds. He's pouring his love into people's hearts. Hearts are opening up. Hearts are tasting of his life. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You're like, God is good. I had this idea of God being mean, of God being harsh, of God being cruel, of, of God wanting to get me. And, and, and I discover that God loves me. I discover God's merciful towards me. I discover that he doesn't treat me as my sins deserve. I discover that he wants me. He desires me. All that is true. And what's more, here's what the word of God says. You are a royal diadem in my hand. You're a crown of beauty. You are beautiful, glorious, wonderful. That's who you are. You're like, what, me? Oh, yeah. But, 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 but yesterday, I did stop talking about your sin. Listen, I see what you're going to become. You see, you and I have a perspective on our life right now, and we feel like a cracked conquer, maybe. He sees, he sees the tree that you're becoming. He already sees who you are in 500 years' time. What we have today is God's word to assure us of these promises. And one of the biggest challenges you and I have is unbelief and doubt. Which is why Paul goes into this and he says, don't, you fool. Don't think like that. You're, you're but a seed. But you're going to be this glorious, beautiful crop. And we've, do you know what? God wants you to hear this today. 100%. Not just that I prepared this sermon, but through the time of worship. Did you hear it? Seeds. Dandelions. Harvests. Crops. God's sowing something. He's doing something. And yes, you look around this room, we were told, look around the room. Look at God's harvest. We are, we are already 
tasting of what we will become. Already there's a root hidden in Christ. Jesus, as a glorified, resurrected man, he ate, he chatted, he had a barbecue on the beach, loves a barbecue. He suddenly appeared in a locked room. How did he do that? I don't know. He had a glorified body. He could do some cool stuff. In Acts chapter 1, one of the questions my kids ask me all the time is, Dad, in heaven, do you think we can fly? Well, Jesus did. He ascended. He lifted. He rose up, didn't he? Jesus flew. Could he swim like a fish? Probably now, yes. Right? All kinds of incredible things we can imagine. But we're limited because this conquer can't imagine what it's going to become. Had I not plucked out of the ground, admittedly, to use as an illustration. You can't imagine it. But something of the essence of what you will be is, is in you right now. The work has started. You are a new creation. You're a new creation. Your heart has been made alive by the Spirit of God. It is impossible for you to love God unless God's love has been poured into your heart. We love because he first loved us. So if you love God here today, it's a fruit not a root of your salvation. It's an evidence of a true work that has already begun in you. So be encouraged. And here's how it ends in Revelation 22. Then this is the picture of the future. Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb and down the middle of the city's main street. The tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of the Lamb Or the light of the sun, because the Lord God will give the light, and they will reign forever and ever. Do you see what happens at the end? A garden comes from heaven. Paradise comes to earth. This beautiful river, this tree that yields 12 different kinds of fruit every month. For those of you who love the countryside and the thought of a beautiful garden... Then there are some of you like, I'm more of a city person. It's also a city, right? It's a garden city. So this is what we end up in. We will end up in this glorious, spectacular, the streets of gold, this crystal river, giving life, giving, producing fruit. We will feast with Christ on that banqueting table as those who've been redeemed and rescued by the blood of the Lamb. And all the glory will go to Jesus Christ. And we will all point and we will go, he did it. He rescued me. And he's given me this abundant, everlasting, eternal life. Forget about the seagull with the grains of sand. Think about doing life in a 
beautiful celestial garden with Jesus Christ and your friends and your family from every nation, tribe, and tongue. That's where we're heading. That's where we're going. Allow your imagination to run right. That's okay. I want to recommend a book called Heaven, aptly named, written by Randy Alcorn. Just spends page after page after page with what I like to call biblically informed speculation (laughs) about what heaven will be like. Because actually the Bible has a lot to say about it. Heaven and earth come together. You and I, seeds now of the oak trees that we will one day become. Some of you might not know this faith yet. Because the Bible also gives a warning. And the warning is that for all who reject Jesus, there is destruction, there is death, there is condemnation. Today is an invitation to receive life. And we are asked to do nothing more than to say yes to Jesus. Let me urge you, say yes to Jesus. Don't trust in your own life, but trust in his. Why don't we stand and invite the band to come. Shall we pray? I know there are some people here, a room of this size. I know there are some people here, and you're grieving. Maybe the loss of someone that you love. And I just believe the Lord wants to speak to some of you today who are in that place and just come and comfort you to remind you he's the rescuer, he's the saviour, that promise of paradise. I want to speak to some of you here today who feel a bit broken and you're not sure that your root is that secure. And I just want to speak confidence into you from God's word. You're hidden in Christ and God. And I want all of us to look forward and be so hopeful for the things that God has promised. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for Jesus. I thank you so much that that all that was lost in Eden, not only has he recovered it, but he's taken us to somewhere even more glorious and even more spectacular. I thank you for the promise of Scripture that we have died and our lives are hidden in Christ with God. I want to thank you so much that one day we will see you in glory. And I thank you that in that moment we will become instantly like you, Lord Jesus. This towering oak tree. And so, Lord, we long for that day and we say, hasten the day of your return. Lord Jesus, when every eye will see and every tongue will confess that you are God. And Lord Jesus, we urge you, please help us today. to to freely, happily express our worship and our delight in you. Lord, all knees will bow. I pray, may we gladly bow the knee today so that that day we will happily bow the knee. I pray that, Lord, in your holy, holy name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing a song in response. Let's worship together.